This is Steve Thompson, and today in the Genesis podcast, we'll be reading chapter two. Yesterday, Steve Durr walked us through a very poetic, rhythmic, awe-inspiring account of how God brought the world and life into existence. Today, we get a little different account, a story that emphasizes different aspects of what God was doing in designing and creating the world. So here we go, Genesis 2, starting at verse 4, reading through the end of the chapter. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the life of breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone were also found there. The second branch, called the Gion, followed or flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Asher. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. There is literally so much to comment on in this passage, and I am sure to disappoint if you're loaded with questions. So let's start by remembering what Steve Durr said as he kicked us off. We're primarily trying to listen to how God is speaking. Where's he getting our attention? And then what are we going to do about it? So with that said, I can't just leave alone that we seem to have another entire creation narrative than what we just read in chapter one. Some of the details are different. Some of the ordering is different. So all of these things noted, here's the thing that grabbed my attention about this passage. 
it's not good for people to be alone. You're like, that grabbed your attention out of all these things. It is. It, and I know it said it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. But I fully believe that the writer of Genesis wanted all of the readers to understand why God created marriage. I, I totally think uh, the writer has that in his sights to give a an ideal of what marriage was supposed to be all about, and it's sewn into the very fabric of creation, of God's original design and intent for the universe and for humanity. But honestly, I think it's also addressing a core human need for companionship, to not be alone. When's the last time that you felt all alone or lonely? It's completely possible to feel like you're alone, even when you're surrounded by people, even people you know and care about. Some of us might feel alone in our marriage, and maybe we feel alone or isolated at work. It could be anywhere, and it's not good. We were designed to be in relationship. All right, so what do I do with this feeling of loneliness that I have? Well, first off, I think it's important to note that God loves to surround us with people. Not necessarily tons of people, but the right amount of people for us, for our personalities, for who he designed us to be, so that we can flourish. To flourish in feeling connected and like we're together in life or in mission or in task or even in spirit. How do I know this? He found it good and right to create a suitable helper, a helper that was just right for the first man. The word helper, by the way, might have a little bit of baggage for us in the English, English language. So let me just suffice it to say that the 21 times that this word is used in the Hebrew scriptures, twice it's used in reference to the first woman, and 16 times it's used in reference to God. God is my helper. So I think that really needs to inform any inferences we make about that word for helper. To me, it speaks of companionship. Someone who shares in life, its joys and sorrows, its twists and turns. A helper that won't abandon, won't be there conditionally, won't be inconsistent. They're always there for you. I believe that's part of how God is our helper and our companion is that he puts people around us who can physically be there for us as a constant reminder of his presence. So if this is true, if God recognizes that it's not good for you and I to be alone, but he insists on providing companionship for us, then who's surrounding you? I mean, hopefully it's obvious and you've got a bunch of people around you that you can name. I mean, not literally, literally, they probably already have a name and you all know it, but you, you know their name, you, you could hug them, you can thank God for them. But if you're not in that boat, <laughs> let's ask God to open our eyes to see the people that he has in our lives for that purpose, that we can be in fellowship with, They're where we can no longer have to feel alone. For me, one of the most uh, pivotal points 
in my relationship with God and coming to know him was in high school when I moved uh, to another school in another country. And <clears throat> I was all alone. I came late in the year. I felt like I was just breaking into the scene. <coughs> Everybody already had their clip, clicks and, uh, and friends. And uh, I just... I was just the new American kid on the block that nobody knew, and it was really, really, really hard. Um, and so one of the first things that I remember praying with my mom about that was like totally a, a major life issue for me was, was friendships. And honestly, I was just asking for like one good friend. I mean, I'm an extrovert, so I like people, and I had people that I could hang out out with and play sports with and do stuff like that, but somebody that, like, I could invite over and that would invite me over and that we could hang, you know? And I'll make this long story really short. Just that God provided that in the three years I lived um, in, in Brazil. It happened to be a new friend every year. Uh, I don't know why they kept graduating, but whatever. God proved himself as my provider in that situation and also revealed to me this heart that he does not want us to be alone. And so for me, it's one of those things that I know God's heart for me and for you. And it just bleeds through this passage. And so the thought that kept coming to my mind was, are people feeling alone? Like they're slugging their guts out and nobody cares. Nobody's around. Nobody's paying attention. Nobody's truly with me. I want to just take a moment and ask that God would not only remind you of his presence, which I think we desperately need to know, but he would again point out to us the people that he has around us. And I'd love to go into that very last verse and the man and woman and his wife were naked, but they were not ashamed. Um, I'm pretty sure Chad is going to go into more detail on that tomorrow as he hits up uh, Genesis chapter 3. But being able to be completely vulnerable with somebody and not feel judged, to feel completely accepted and not compared, to not feel less than or not feel too much, there is someone around you that God has placed in your life and they are there to be a companion, somebody to help you know that you are not alone. Lord Jesus, would you highlight those people for us today? Those people that you have placed in our life to remind us that we're not alone, that reach out to us and love on us with like extraordinary care, it's, it's more than just the regular person at work. It's more than just the person that has to like you because they're family. <laughs> no, this is someone who loves us unconditionally. And I pray that you would highlight those people for us today. Conversely, I also ask that you would help us to see who we need to be that person for. Would you give us that impulse to reach out and just check in on them, whether it's through a text or just maybe walking up and say, hey man, you need a hug. Lord, speak to us. And thank you so much 
that you will never leave us and never forsake us. You are our helper. You will never abandon us. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.